The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Good morning and welcome to Squawk Box from Jeff, Steve and myself. Here are your headlines today. The Nasdaq dips into correction territory before clawing back losses of more than 2%. Goldman Sachs' chief U.S. equity strategist David Costin tells CNBC exclusively the tech disconnect is the biggest client issue. As rates increase, the valuation or the value of that future cash flows are worth somewhat less in a higher rate environment. We had a huge derating of the fast expected revenue growth companies that have low margins. And the argument is probably that there's more to go. Fed Chair Jerome Powell will acknowledge the toll inflation is having on the U.S. economy when he testifies before the Senate today. While J.P. Morgan CEO Jamie Dimon tells CNBC the U.S. is headed for its best growth in decades, even as the Fed raises rates. If we're lucky, they can engineer a slowdown and you'll see inflation coming down. You know, a lot of people project inflation to be 2.3% at the end of this year. I don't. I think it's going to be higher. But, you know, if we're lucky, the Fed will slow things down and we'll have what they call a soft landing. U.S. investment fund Cerberus cuts its stakes in Deutsche Bank and Commerce Bank, selling over half a billion dollars of stock, having once favored a merger of Germany's top two lenders. And the Pfizer CEO Albert Bourla tells CNBC the company is doing all it can to stay ahead of the pandemic, with a new Omicron vaccine ready within weeks, but warns COVID could still be present a decade from now. The hope is that we will achieve something that will have way, way better uh, protection, particularly against infections, because the protection against the hospitalizations and severe disease, it is, it is um, reasonable right now. It was all about big tech stocks yesterday and what played out on the Nasdaq initially uh, further falls into correction territory and then we saw the market snap back into positive territory climbing throughout the course of the trade mainly in the afternoon and we saw just briefly as you can see moving into the green slightly six points is what we had uh, 14,942 uh, big moves to the upside uh, the likes of Tesla still somewhat weaker meta platforms but you can see in contrast to some of the action elsewhere where there wasn't negative trade playing out. We still had a lot of volatility across the course of the trade and the S&P and the Dow falling and you can see in the red at this point, 8 out of 10 sectors actually trading negative across the course of the day and uh, you saw downside mainly in the big industrial stocks, healthcare one of the better performers and in fact it was the biotech space that was somewhat supportive for the Nasdaq. Let's just take a look at that Nasdaq in session and you can see how it played out. Uh, The the falls coming through early on the morning, not much uh, moving through mid-morning but it was really that afternoon session we saw the gains coming back onto the board. Big question is whether this is the buy the dip moment, whether investors got back in and we've now got some momentum to do the upside 
or whether we are still just looking at volatility. And worth noting, you've still got a lot of big tech stocks that are deep in correction territory at this point. I want to take you to some of the big US technology names. Uh, this is how they fared in session. <coughs> Apple just positive, as you can see. Microsoft too, not much in that trade, you've got to say. Still patches of red for the streaming service Netflix for Meta, the former Facebook uh, named company, Amazon in the red as well, but uh, stronger green you can see for Tesla and Alphabet. Big day for the bond markets. We saw a lot of moves yesterday, and you've got to say, as we take a look at that bond in Germany in particular, just a whisker off positive just sitting at minus 0.03. So it's been dragged higher with that US 10-year yield now perched to 1.76%. The 10-year BTP, that is at 1.31. And um, gilts, we're sitting just shy of 1.2. want to take you to the uh, European markets yesterday in the close. We had a little bit of green early on, but it just faded so rapidly as we started to move throughout the trade. And over the course of the session, a couple more legs lower. And we saw the FTSE 100 trading down by about 40 points or half of a percent, still holding that 7,400 level. We're weaker, much weaker on some of the other continental markets. 1.4 down on the French market, 1.1 off the DAX. And you could see across the board to Zurich, 1.6 almost down for the market in Switzerland. So it was a weak old trade that we witnessed yesterday, perhaps a catch-up trade. And we did uh, take a look at some green as we started at the week yesterday for these markets over the course of last week somewhat separate to that volatility in the States. So perhaps it was a day where we saw that catch-up trade play out here in Europe. I want to take you to Asia. This is the trade this morning. We are looking at a little bit of green around the Hong Kong market, but that's about it. It's up about a tenth of a percent. We've got red elsewhere, nine-tenths down in Japanese stocks, four-tenths off China, and Australia also falling at this stage. And the opening calls, uh, let's get set up for the day and see what sort of day we're anticipating here in Europe this morning. It does look as though we're trying to park some of that red ink behind us, that we are looking at uh, 22 on the FTSE to the upside and decent ranges too from Germany to Italy. It does look like a stronger market will play out first up this morning. And uh, just pushing on to those US futures, we are taking a lot of cues from Wall Street. Early on though, uh, we are seeing a little bit of red ink, which is uh, not exactly encouraging for these European markets this morning, as you can see. Uh, small ranges, but still indicated lower at this stage. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it, Karen, that we saw the Nasdaq do a little better in trade yesterday compared to the other U.S. indices, even as uh, David Costin is talking about potential weakness in tech stocks. Tech could take a hit in the event of higher rates this year. This, according to the Goldman Sachs chief U.S. equity strategist, speaking exclusively to CNBC on the sidelines of the Lenders Global Strategy Conference, he said investments in the sector may need to be reevaluated. The single greatest mispricing in the U.S. equity market is between companies that have high expected revenue growth, but low or negative margins. On the other hand, high growth companies with positive or very significantly positive uh, profit margins, that gap is uh, adjusted dramatically in the last year. Put some numbers, numbers around that. High growth, low margin stocks traded at 16 times enterprise value to sales February of 2021. You know, 11 months later, they're trading at seven times. So a huge derating that took place. Much of that took place in the last uh, month or so. Uh, and largely that's because as rates increase, 
the valuation or the value of that future cash flows are worth somewhat less in a higher rate environment. Uh, and that's a big issue. And so the, the gap between those two, I'd say, is the single biggest topic of uh, conversation with clients. You've had a huge derating of the fast expected revenue growth companies that have low margins. And the argument is probably that there's more to go. Well, in spite of some of the challenges, uh, David Costin actually thinks uh, the year will be okay for investments in the S&P. Speaking to Juliana, he said he expects returns on investments to progressively improve by year end. It's going to be tough to uh, beat 2021, which was an excellent year for the U.S. equity market, both in absolute terms with return nearly 30% and extremely low volatility. And so if we look into 2022, our forecast is that earnings will be the primary driver of the return. And so a forecast from the level of the S&P 500 would be around 5,100 at the end of 2022. And that would represent an increase of roughly 9% from the uh, current level. And that's very much in line with the level of profit growth that we are forecasting, which is also uh, in that area around 8%. So broadly speaking, we have a offsetting uh, effect of higher bond yields, higher interest rates, yet we have a reduced equity risk premia. And the reason for that is that some of the policy uncertainty will be behind us as we look out for the end of 2022. The midterm U.S. elections will be behind us. The uh, initiation of the interest rate hikes that we're expecting for the Federal Reserve will be in place uh, at that time. And so some of those variables should be behind us. So coming back to the uh, the idea of the summary outlook uh, around uh, 8% earnings growth, 9% total return for the U.S. equity market uh, is the forecast. Well, we're just about to get into earnings season. It kicks off at the end of this week. How do you think um, consensus earnings expectations are placed as we head into earnings season? And, and what are going to be the key themes that you're watching out for this earnings season? So the no, no most important strategic development for 2022 will be around corporate margins. And this will be not just for the fourth quarter results, but more importantly, as you look all the way through the coming year. And the reason is there's significant headwinds that took place last year. We think about the Delta variant, we think about supply chain disruptions, uh, commodity price surges, and the idea of challenges for corporates in terms of identifying, hiring, and retaining uh, workers. And so those are significant headwinds that took place last year. But nevertheless, corporates were able to continue to increase profit margins all through uh, last year. And pretty much every sector of the market established record high levels of margins. And if you look into 2022, our forecast is as well that we'll have some uh, margin improvement over last year. And that's an important development. It's a big area of focus for fund managers right now, identifying which companies, which industries are better or worse positioned in the uh, current macroeconomic environment. If we look specifically at the fourth quarter results that will kick off uh, later this week with some of the major banks on Friday and then into the next, uh, into the next several weeks when roughly 85% of the uh, US equity market will report results between now and uh, sort of the second week of February. Uh, the big area of focus will be on top line revenues uh, and, and margins and, and, and earnings. But ultimately, the fourth quarter earnings are the least important results. 
Lots of times there's a proverbial kitchen sink, a lot of special charges are taken, but more importantly, at this juncture already, investors are much more focused on 2022 uh, outlook rather than, well, exactly what was the uh, results for the fourth quarter. So everything happens on the margin. And right now, the big area of focus is on interest rates and the sensitivity of stock prices to the change in the yield curve. Uh, it had massive backup in 10-year treasury yields uh, in the last week. Uh, that was sort of a central front of mind, top of mind uh, issue that uh, fund managers are focusing on, a little bit less than the actual results for the fourth quarter that we'll be hearing about in the next couple of weeks. So rates, uh, the idea of labor budget, labor costs, there are two key issues uh, that fund managers are, are, are debating right now. Well, I hope you're all paying attention. We were going to test you in a little bit about what David Costin had to say there. Um, but uh, we also spoke to others as well. Juliana um, uh, spoke also uh, to uh, Jan Hatzius, who's the chief economist. Now, Goldman reviewed its outlook for 2022, now predicting four rate hikes. Got a lot of attention yesterday. Four rate hikes this year. Well, Jan Hatzius uh, told CNBC the lender has priced in tighter Fed policies. We expect a move at the March FOMC meeting, and then quarterly moves March, June, September, and December. We actually just made a change in our forecast for uh, the, the, the later part of the year. We pulled forward the start to balance sheet runoff, so quantitative tightening, as it's sometimes referred to, from the December FOMC meeting to the July meeting. In response, in part to the strong data, but also to what we saw in the FOMC minutes last week about how the committee is thinking about runoff. They seem to be more anxious to get started. And so we pulled that forward and we added a, an interest rate hike in December. Previously, we thought that start to runoff would substitute for a, a quarterly hike. But in the middle of the year, that's a little bit less plausible, I think, because the inflation is still going to be probably so far above the Fed's target that I don't think they would not hike because they're starting runoff. So that, uh, that makes it four hikes through the year. How good a job have they, they done? I think they did a really terrific job in 2020 in responding very quickly and very aggressively to what could have been a very serious crisis, obviously was a very serious crisis as far as health is concerned, as far as the economy is concerned, a serious crisis. But in financial markets, they stabilized financial markets, they eased financial com conditions aggressively. And I think that had a very important uh, impact in terms of short-circuiting what could have been very nasty second round effects. I think in 2021, it's been tougher, especially I would say in the last six months, they've been behind in terms of expectations for the, for inflation and for uh, the recovery in the labor market. And so they've been sort of scrambling to, to catch up. I mean, it's not, it's not so far out of line with where a lot of private forecasters have been. I mean, there have been a lot of surprises, uh, but so it's, they, they've been in a, in a similar position, but that's made it harder for them, obviously, to communicate that, uh, that sort of shift well. I think under the circumstances, given that the forecast had to be changed pretty significantly. They've done a pretty good job in communicating how their, their thinking was, was evolving. But this is you know, a difficult period when you have changes 
and, and, and twists and turns and significant turns that need to be carried out in the monetary in monetary policy. That's always a, a hard period and it will it'll continue to be challenging, I think, as we go through 2022. Well, 2022 has already started out as quite a turbulent year, um, especially if you were involved in the tech sector. And just over a week into the year, we've seen a massive sell-off in U.S. tech stocks with the Nasdaq crossing into correction territory in recent trade. And we know that there's a lot of retail money involved in markets right now, especially in these tech stocks. And I wonder if from the Fed's perspective, this could influence their policy trajectory given the potential um, destabilizing effect of having all these investors' um, money wiped out. Well, certainly financial conditions are very, very important because the way that monetary policy is transmitted to the real economy isn't through the direct effect of the federal funds rate. It's really through the impact that the Fed is having on longer-term interest rates, on exchange rates, on credit spreads, and also on the equity market. So big equity market moves, especially if they diverge from expectations, can have a a feedback effect onto monetary policy. So if you were to see a a large move uh, in, in equity prices, then of course the Fed would take that into account and potentially steer a more moderate course. So far, I think what we've seen probably doesn't quite rise to that, to that level. We have obviously seen weaker performance, you know, some, some, quite a bit of volatility to the downside, but overall financial conditions still haven't really tightened significantly. They've been, according to our index of financial conditions, been sort of in a range over the last six months and I would expect them to gradually tighten through some combination of higher interest rates, uh, you know, probably somewhat wider, wider credit spreads, probably uh, weaker, weaker equity markets, at least in terms of the, the rate, rate of increase. I mean, the, our, our equity strategists still expect positive price returns as we go through 2022, but at a much slower pace than last year. And of course, that is at risk of being punctuated by sort of drawdowns along the way. Well, that's quite enough tape for the top of the show now, isn't it? Uh, We're going to have more from the margins of the Goldman Sachs strategy conference later this morning, 9.30 CET. We'll speak to Sharon Bell, the lender's managing director for European equity strategy. And later on, on Street Signs, you can catch Peter Oppenheimer, Goldman's chief global equities strategist. Plus, the Fed chair, Jerome Powell, meanwhile, uh, is set to uh, reaffirm his commitment to, quote, prevent higher inflation from becoming entrenched, which would be interesting because we've got inflation figures this week, haven't we? Yeah, that'd be interesting. What are we looking for? A seven handle on CPI? Anyway, uh, he is going to face the Senate Banking Committee today for his renomination hearing. According to prepared remarks, Powell will admit that uh, high inflation is taking its toll, Karen. Steve, JP Morgan CEO Jamie Dimon says inflation could be higher than the Fed predicts, possibly leading to more than four rate hikes. Speaking to CNBC, Dimon highlighted the uncertainty over the coming period. No one knows the future. And I, again, I think what you really should do is go back to March of 2020, we were on our way to 15% unemployment, a lot of people dying from COVID, and no known vaccine. Now we've got unemployment around 
the consumer's in good shape, business is in good shape, you know, and, and those things are really good. The Fed, you know, you could say they, they should have started doing QE a little bit early and stuff like that. But, you know, if we're lucky, they can engineer a slowdown and you'll see inflation coming down. You know, a lot of people project inflation to be 2.3% at the end of this year. I don't. I think it's going to be higher. But, you know, if we're lucky, the Fed will slow things down and we'll have what they call a soft landing. Four rate hikes, possibly more. That's quite a different line from some market participants. Uh, don't forget, uh, some economists are saying two. So four plus is a much more hawkish view of the markets. And the question is whether that would choke off growth. I think uh, some economists would think that is too much and would uh, perhaps constitute a policy mistake from the Fed. And just putting this in context to as we wait for inflation numbers this week, as some of the market think this will constitute peak pressure that we're seeing on prices but of course it then takes another month for more data to start to feed through and of course that impacts the decision for policymakers. just in terms of some of the other data we've had though there are indications in the ism that perhaps prices are starting to abate if you look at the numbers that came out what we're at 68.2 on a measure of prices paid by manufacturers that is a 14 plus percent plunge uh, since uh, what we've had or the biggest plunge since october 2011 so there is a pullback in some of the prices we've seen that just whether continues is the other point but if we are talking about a higher rate setting and this brings it back to markets what are we looking at here are we done is this uh, the point where we're seeing the peak volatility as well or is there more of it uh, if you look at for instance a lot of the big names on the nasdaq 100 70 components of uh, the nasdaq 100 are 10 percent or greater below their 52-week high so in correction territory i would point out we've moved a fair distance on some of these big growth names that trade on very large multiples jeff yeah it's interesting i think there's always going to be choppiness isn't there when there is a transition in the monetary policy environment and we've got that transition and um you know taking nothing away from uh, david costin's comments Isn't it interesting that he's basically predicted a 10% move for the S&P? And uh, as long as I think we've all been doing this, a 10% forecast for the year ahead generally is considered a safe, I'm not quite sure what's going to happen call, because that reflects perhaps uh, something close to the average uh, annualised rise that we've seen in markets historically. the point I wanted to make, though, and I thought it was interesting that Jan Hatzius and um, uh, David Costin didn't make any reference to this at all. But we know it's going to be a massive swing factor for the performance of the U.S. Uh, markets this year. And that is the state of share buybacks. And if you look at uh, the record amount that we saw in the third quarter, $232 billion, the run rate was for a record year for 2022. And we'll ultimately get the numbers and see if that was the case and see whether it blew out the uh, 806.41 billion dollars we saw in 2018 but my sense is it probably did and it explains an awful lot of the underpinnings and support we see for the US markets the question is if we do get higher taxes in 2022 if president biden can actually get his desired corporate tax rate of 25 percent through that would have an impact on the buyback program but otherwise i can't see any reason uh, given the expectation around stronger earnings why these companies won't continue this process of buying back their own shares if they believe it is eps supportive and if indeed they feel that there isn't anything else out there 
for them to do with the cash because they are not sure about the growth environment through the rest of the year, given those interest rate moves you were talking about, Karen. Steve, I don't know if you want to weigh in with something. Uh, I will weigh in, actually, on both of your points. One, four interest rates will get us to a mighty, wait for it, if we do 25 basis points each time, a mighty 1.25% at the top end on the Fed funds rate. We're going to have a 7.1%, we think, inflation print this week, potentially. The PPI is running north of that as well. Uh, As we saw from the latest figures, the average hourly earnings on an annual increase, 4.7%. So even if we get a mighty 4.25 basis point rate hikes this year, we could only get potentially to 1.25 at the top end of the Fed funds range. Still seems a long way behind the curve. And obviously that is going to create all kinds of problems, even with just four for refinancing for governments, for municipalities, for individuals and indeed for the aforementioned corporate. So I'll just part that one as well, that even if we get four, we're quite a way behind A, of course, the 2% inflation target, B, where earnings are in the States and C, where this very inconvenient inflation level is as well. Now, back to your point, Jeffrey, as well. I, I, I hear you and I, and I believe that it is a major factor for the market. But not all the market is what I would say. Now, of the big buybacks you were just referring to, and it's quite stratospheric and how quickly American companies got back to buying stock as soon as they thought that the peak of the COVID curse uh, was behind us. The fact of the matter is, the majority of those buybacks affect only a very limited number of companies. And I think that's quite an important point um, that I think is 54 percent of those. you, You mentioned the third quarter in the States. 54% of those buybacks was actually only 20 companies. So I hear what you're saying about buybacks. I agree with you. I think it's a major factor, but I don't think it helps a lot of those struggling companies, the ones that Karen was mentioning uh, at the correction end of the market. But anyway, we'll we'll carry on this conversation because there's lots more for us all to say. Just to round that out on the rate hikes, I mean, the 1.25% would take us pretty close to the terminal rate of 1.8% that the market is pricing in at this point. So it would be very front loaded in terms of uh, the the interest rate hikes if the four come through the system this year. Now, coming up on the show, no breakthrough in Geneva, but no breakdown either, as the US and Russia remain at odds over the crisis in Ukraine. Uh, and it's me talking next, so I should get into the right place in the rundown. Yes, it's the Squawk Box podcast. <laughs> For more on the Fed ahead of the uh, chair, Jerome Powell's Senate testimony today, check out the aforementioned Squawk Box podcast. Ambition to me is about doing better. I think ambition creates a pathway. The best advice I can give someone starting off a career is don't have a career, have lots of careers, try loads of different things. Talk to people and put your ambition out there. I don't feel that I've hit peak ambition because it's a learning journey. CNBC is where ambition meets opportunity. What does living ambitiously mean to you? Hear it from our CNBC anchors, reporters and global business leaders on CNBC.com. Welcome back, everybody. The US and Russia failed to strike a deal on the security situation in Ukraine following lengthy talks in Geneva on Monday. Moscow says it has no intention to invade Ukraine, despite building up tens of thousands of troops near the border, insisting it is responding only to the potential eastward expansion 
by NATO. Well, let's get out to Hadley, who joins us with more from Geneva. Um, Hadley, obviously no agreement, but I guess uh, one positive we can take away is that discussions continue and we haven't seen the threatened walkaway that was much talked about going into the meeting. Exactly right, Jeff. And I thought it was really interesting the language that Wendy Sherman, the Deputy Secretary of State, used to describe this. She said these weren't even negotiations, these are conversations merely, and that they had been businesslike and constructive. And that was echoed by the Deputy Foreign Minister from Russia as well. Now, she also gave herself a pretty long runway in terms of these conversations. She was talking about the broader narrative, arms control, other things that the U.S. has said could potentially be on the table, including missile uh, deployment, as you know, and also, of course, the idea that they'll be more transparent perhaps going forward with when and where and how they would do military exercises within the NATO construct. Um, she said those kinds of conversations take place over weeks and potentially months. So giving themselves some, some wiggle room, if you will, beyond, way beyond potentially this week alone. Now, listen into what she had to say, though, with regards to the one demand that we've heard again and again from the Russians, from Vladimir Putin himself, essentially saying um, that Ukraine and Georgia should not be allowed to become part of the NATO alliance. Listen in. We were firm, however, in pushing back on security proposals that are simply non-starters for the United States. We will not allow anyone to slam closed NATO's open-door policy, which has always been central to the NATO alliance. We will not forego bilateral co cooperation with sovereign states that wish to work with the United States. And we will not make decisions about Ukraine without Ukraine, about Europe without Europe, or about NATO without NATO. As we say to our allies and partners, nothing about you without you. Now, you remember these talks started around 8.40 a.m. Central Time uh, or local time yesterday, and they went on for almost eight hours. Now, Wendy Sherman confirming yesterday that Kazakhstan was not something that was part of the conversation. We understand Nord Stream 2 didn't even come up. There were also, of course, um, a broader context, if you will, um, surrounding whether or not uh, you would see any um, move to de-escalate. And Wendy Sherman essentially saying that de-escalation to the United States looks like Russian troops moving away from the border and going back to their barracks. Listen in to the foreign minister's comments from yesterday following uh, those conversations. Unfortunately, we have a great disparity in our principled approaches to this. U.S. and Russia in some ways uh, have opposite views on what needs to be done. And it doesn't help that on some of the issues there might be basis for future exchanges and hopefully also some progress. But from our perspective, it would only be possible provided that we find a way uh, towards a solution on illegally binding security guarantees on no expansion, further expansion of NATO and to others. The Deputy Foreign Minister there sticking to their guns again, literally, in terms of uh, NATO expansion, that that's an issue that has to be discussed for there to be any hope of progress. And if you look at this in terms of the bigger picture, still over 100,000 troops on the border of Ukraine. The Russians saying that they're uh, on Russian sovereign territory, merely doing exercises, that they have no intention to invade Ukraine, but also speaking to the larger picture of whether or not, um, by deputizing his Deputy Foreign Minister to have these conversations in uh, Europe this week, whether or not the President of Russia is even serious about a diplomatic situation or solution at all. 
Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.